This is a Russian tank. Like the Pacific salmon, Russian tanks migrate long distances from the abyss of Russia to end their lives in Ukraine's beautiful fields. Driven by an evolutionary desire to end their life somewhere better, after reaching Ukraine, all species of Russian tank die. The 2022 run was a major event for predators, such as Ukrainian SOF teams, TB2 Bayraktars, and local farmers on tractors. Most tank species pop their turrets to celebrate the end of their life cycles. You obviously have a you know significant insight into the Russian president um, from these interactions over almost six years. One of these narratives that you see commonly in the media and Western media, Vladimir Putin as the madman. What do you think of this narrative? Absolutely baseless. No, he's one of the most rational people that I ever met in my life. And still I see, even today, when I'm not there, but I see how he's rational, extremely rational, calculated, understanding what is going on around the world, and he's uh, taking decisions based on his analysis of what's going on in the world and based on what kind of views and positions are taken by other people, including leaders of the Western countries, including the President of the United States. And his decisions, including decision to um, invade Ukraine, is based on his absolutely correct understanding of President Biden. Without Biden in the White House, Putin would never invade Ukraine. Okay, explain that to me. Mr. Putin is a very good psychologist. And even from the file, KGB files, uh, for Mr. Biden, because Mr. Biden visited Moscow in 1978 and met with the leaders of the Soviet Union. Even recently in Poland, Mr. Biden reminded to the shocked audience how it was nice to, uh, nice to him, for him, to meet Mr. Kasygin, Prime Minister of the Soviet Union, he shared with his Polish friends or Polish audience when he was in Warsaw. But what was probably a shock for a Polish audience was not a shock for Mr. Putin, because he studied files uh, for Mr. Biden. He understood that a person who would never do anything against his invasion against Ukraine. And for all these months before that, Biden did remove sanctions from the building, from construction of Nord Stream 2. Biden signed Start 3. Biden um, invited Putin to the climate summit uh, last April. Biden did nothing against concentration of Russian troops on the uh, Ukrainian border back in March and uh, April. When uh, there was some provocation in the Black Sea, when the Dutch uh, uh, 
Navy ship uh, went uh, to the uh, kind of contact with the Russian Navy, Biden ordered U.S. Uh, ship to leave the Black Sea, leaving Dutch ship alone. And many, many other things, including the what we have seen in preparation of this invasion to, uh, to Ukraine. When Putin started to uh, mass uh, Russian troops on the Ukrainian border uh, last autumn, uh, Biden dispatched uh, Mr. Burns, Bill Burns, CIA director to Moscow. And it's for the first time CIA director uh, spent two, day, two days in Moscow and he discussed some issues so-called bilateral issues with the head of Security Council of Russia, Mr. Patrushev, and with Foreign Intelligence Chief Narishkin, and after that talked to Mr. Putin. And after that, uh, Putin doubled his efforts to uh, his preparations against Ukraine. Just after this uh, Burns visit to Moscow, uh, Putin said, okay, our American friends suggested, offered to us to prepare documents for providing us with so-called security guarantees. And it was exactly uh, what he did in December last year when they have given to American side and after that they published the so-called two drafts, two draft treaties, one draft treaty with the United States, another draft treaty with NATO. And it was very clear that the very idea of preparation of these two drafts was given to him by Mr. Burns and by Mr. Biden. And after that, when all the world was expecting that all these outrageous demands from the Putin side would be rejected outright, no. Mr. Sullivan, National Security Assistant to President Biden, said, oh no, there are something interesting here. We will have negotiations. And after that, we know that in January, in Geneva, in Brussels, and in Vienna, there was a series of negotiations with Russian side, at which American side officially pronounced, okay, there are several good ideas uh, from the Russian proposal that we completely accept. For example, uh, not deployment of troops and not deployment of nuclear missiles on the Ukrainian territory, Nobody asked for that, but nevertheless, they said it uh, right away. They said many other things, including concerning the military drills, uh, including the military cooperation and so on. So it showed that Biden and Biden administration are ready to cooperate with Putin on issues of security, even when Russian troops are on the Ukrainian border and ready to attack Ukraine that can be understood only in one way. Biden administration is giving green light for Putin to attack Ukraine. And just before the, this attack, just last point, the Biden administration recalled American citizens from Ukraine. They recalled American instructors from uh, Ukrainian military. They recalled part of diplomatic personnel from Kyiv. They relocated embassy of the United States from Kyiv to Lviv. And now we know that they removed U.S. Navy from the Black Sea that was there, from Black Sea. 
that can be interpreted only in one way. And Mr. Putin understood these signs in the exactly right way. We live in an era of censorship and disinformation, and it can be really hard to know what's true and what's false in this information climate. To get honest information and insights you can trust, join us on Epoch TV. You can sign up for your 14-day free trial at ept.ms slash freetrialian. That's ept.ms slash freetrialjan. Okay, so just to be clear here, you're saying that it can only be understood as a green light for Russia to invade. But like from Vladimir Putin's perspective? No, this is the only way to understand it. There is no other way. Let me give you ex two examples. I will just another example just to compare what is going, what has happened uh, over the last few months with what happened in year 2008 during the Russian invasion into Georgia. Uh, on August 11, year 2008, then President Bush Jr. ordered U.S. Navy to move into the Black Sea and uh, U.S. Air Force to be re relocated into Turkey and Romania. And Mr. Bush, President Bush, has announced it in the late evening, August 11th, year 2008. What happened after that? In 12 hours, Russian invasion into Georgia has been stopped. Has been stopped immediately because they understood this signal from the U.S. president. If the United States president now, in year 2022, uh, sends very different, very op op opposite signals, removing Navy, removing diplomatic personnel, re removing embassy, removing instructors, removing American citizens, how all these signals should be understood in Kremlin, only in one way. This is a green light. Moreover, as you remember, uh, Biden has announced that in, he's putting more troops into so-called border states, into Poland, Romania, other places. How, how Putin should understand it? Only in one way. He's not going to be involved in Ukraine, and Ukraine is his easy, easy prey. And welcome to Tucker Carlson. Tonight, a week ago exactly, an unnamed saboteur of the Supreme Court leaked a draft opinion by Justice Sam Alito explaining why Roe v. Wade ought to be overturned. Now, people went completely hysterical over it, but actually, as a legal matter, Alito's views were not especially controversial. Roe is bad law. Over the past half century, many have acknowledged that, including many pro-choice Democrats, including Joe Biden. So at this point, 49 years in, if you're an office holder who supports legal abortion, the obvious solution is to vote for legal abortion. Pass a law like they do in democracies. It's not complicated. That's how it's supposed to work. But Democrats have no interest in that. Democracy is a tiresome process, and worst of all, the outcome isn't always guaranteed. They prefer what they call direct action, not democracy. 
So liberal activists immediately set about threatening Supreme Court justices and then attacking Christianity. A group called Ruth Sent Us, which is named in honor of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, posted the home addresses of every Supreme Court justice who is conservative. Why they do this? Well, of course, to invite violence and harassment to get them to change their votes. Then Ruth Sent Us sent this to practicing Catholics across the country, quote, Stuff your rosaries and your weaponized prayer. We'll be burning the Eucharist to show our disgust for the abuse Catholic churches have condoned for centuries. Now, you'd think the Biden administration might have something to say about this. It was all public. Joe Biden purports to be a Catholic. Intimidating judges, by the way, is a federal crime. But no, the Biden administration did not try and stop this. The Justice Department did nothing. In fact, from her podium at the White House, the president's publicist endorsed the coming harassment very clearly. Quote, the president's view is that there's a lot of passion, a lot of fear, a lot of sadness from many, many people, Jen Psaki explained. So the message to Joe Biden's abortion militia could not have been clear. Go forth and terrorize. That's the word from the White House. So that's exactly what they did. Here's the mob this weekend outside Brett Kavanaugh's house. Brett Kavanaugh is a Supreme Court justice, but he's also a man and a husband and a father, as you just saw. He lives in a pretty normal neighborhood outside D.C., doesn't have a wall around the house, and more to the point, his two daughters are home. So imagine what it must have been like inside the house if you're Brett Kavanaugh or, or his wife or his daughters. The people outside didn't care. The woman who organized that protest outside Kavanaugh's house lives right down the street, apparently. She's a deeply unhappy individual called Lacey Wooten Holloway. Wooten Hallway brought the mob to Kavanaugh's house for a very specific reason, not just because she was angry, which she is, but because she wants Brett Kavanaugh to change his views and support Roe v. Wade. She was intimidating a federal judge all the more. And once again, that's a federal crime. It could not be clearer. And yet, Lacey Wooten Holloway, who bragged about organizing this, was not arrested. She wasn't even scolded. Instead, she was rewarded. Lacey Wooten Hallway got a glowing profile in The Washington Post. So once again, in effect, our leaders in Washington sent a very clear message to the mob, as they did for BLM. Do what you want. We're on your side. It's not like you're insurrectionists. So the mob did. Look what the mob did to this Christian counseling center in Wisconsin over the weekend. If abortions aren't safe, then you aren't either. That's just part of the message outside Wisconsin Family Action here, and it continues inside the building. What you're seeing around me right now this isn't the answer to anything. Also written in debris and glass in her office, Wisconsin Family Action President Julian Appling says the message is clear. It's precipitated by the leaked Supreme Court opinion, right? I mean, it's obvious. Madison police say it appears someone threw a Molotov cocktail inside the building. You're not safe. Now, the Christian Counseling Center had nothing to do with Samuel Alito's opinion, of course. The Christian Counseling Center only talks to women who are pregnant and aren't sure what to do next. They don't make money doing it. They're not Planned Parenthood. They're not getting rich by giving gender-altering chemicals to your kids or committing abortion. No, they're just talking to girls who are confused and upset. Some of those girls wind up having abortions anyway, but the people at the Christian Counseling Center are trying their best to do their duty. They're not doing anything aggressive at all. But because their views are repugnant to the left, their building was firebombed. You're not safe, said the firebombers. Apparently they aren't. So how did the media cover this? Well, here's Politico, which is not even a news organization anymore. Here's how they describe this firebombing. Quote, 
A fire broke out Sunday at the office of an anti-abortion group in Madison, Wisconsin. Oh, a fire broke out. Really? The Hill newspaper agreed, quote, fire breaks out at Wisconsin anti-abortion group office. Oh, just broke out. According to the police chief in Madison, where it happened, quote, the arson is not considered a terrorist incident. So firebombing with Molotov cocktails for political reasons, threats left on the wall and spray paint, definitely not terrorism. Let's call it activism because, you know, a fire broke out. So, of course, fires will continue to break out if that's your posture. And they are. And more. Here's surveillance footage that we obtained of an attack on the Christian nonprofit Concerned Women for America that's based in Alexandria, Virginia, right across the river from Washington. You can see a man tearing the intercom from the wall, exposing himself and a lot more. So this just happened over the weekend in response to Sam Alito's opinion with which Concerned Women for America had nothing to do. They had no role in it whatsoever, but because they're Christians, they were attacked. The FBI has been notified. Have arrests been made? No, it's not September. It's not January 6th. No one stopped the person who did that. No one's arrested him. And no one has stopped the thugs who terrorized Sunday masses yesterday either across the country. This was a scene at a Sunday mass in Los Angeles. Respect us. Respect us. So, among other things, sincerely, the re religious people are a reviled minority at this point in the United States, and the Biden administration has made it its job, its self-described job, to protect unpopular minority groups. There's also, by the way, a federal law that makes intimidating churchgoers illegal. It's 18 U.S.C. 247, for the record. But the Biden administration has no interest in, particular, in protecting this particular reviled minority. They're ignoring the whole thing. That means that churches now need armed guards to protect themselves, but those guards are also now being targeted. Watch. Hey, you to take care of people. We pay you to take care of people. You never do it. You never do it. We know what you're gonna do. Shoot us, shit to do all. That's not what I said. Don't you dare tell me I'm embarrassing. So you'd think that churches in Texas would be safe. After all, it's Texas. But no, St. Bartholomew Catholic Church in Katy, Texas, now reports that the tabernacle was just stolen last night, again, likely in response to the Alito opinion. And this was a scene outside the Basilica of St. Patrick's Old Cathedral in New York City on Saturday. Watch. I'm killing the baby. Could you get away with that outside any other religious center, any other group of worshipers? Probably not. We wouldn't support it. So maybe you're starting to think this isn't actually about Roe. Maybe it's about something more than that. Maybe it's about something much darker than that. 
Take a look at what Democrats are doing in Congress right now if you want a sense of what their plans are. This is a real passage from a new abortion bill the Democrats are trying to get through the Congress, and we're quoting. This act is intended to protect all people with the capacity for pregnancy, cisgender women, transgender men, non-binary individuals, those who identify with a different gender, and others. So there it is. It's not really about codifying Roe, abortions for people who, quote, need them, safe, legal, and rare. It's about something much bigger than that. It's about displacing God as the great decider. Democrats now reserve the right to rewrite biology, which is to say, dominion over nature. Now they're in charge. So again, this isn't just about intimidating Supreme Court justices, five of them, into changing their views on Roe v. Wade. It's about attacking Christianity, because Christianity stands in their way. MSNBC just comes out and says it. Watch. The Christian right's decades-long push to revoke abortion rights is just part of their broader agenda. Well, what else? What else do they want? What else is at stake? This is not just about abortion. Uh, this is about a much broader uh, set of issues uh, that are have, have, that really are about a kind of white Christian right worldview. It's very important for us to recognize that it is Christian extremism that is at the root of the shame and the stigma that allows laws like this to pass, that allows justices like this to be uh, confirmed. Discovered that they could manufacture and then channel their moral outrage toward abortion, creating a new litmus test for conservative politicians. References to God and Christian beliefs are often invoked in these political instances, with some saying outright that they believe America is a Christian nation. So they're mad not really just at Alito, but at Christianity and Christians, believers, people of faith. They have been for a long time, but it's weird if you think about it. Why are liberals angry at Christianity? You wouldn't think they would be. Christianity has been the single greatest force for human rights in history. In fact, the Western understanding of human rights, our understanding of human rights, all of us, atheists included, is based on Christianity. That's where it comes from. Christianity is the reason we don't have slavery and segregation and children working in factories. Christians did that. So if you're a sincere liberal, it would seem odd to hate Christians. But the totalitarians always do hate Christians. The Soviets killed the priests first. So did Mao. During the Spanish Civil War, the communists subjected a statue of Jesus to a symbolic execution in front of a firing squad. It was one of the first things they did within weeks of the war breaking out. Here's the picture on your screen. Shooting Jesus. It tells you everything. So modern liberals hate Christianity not because... It's repressive, but because they are. Any religion that puts God before government is by definition a threat to their power. Most offensive of all, Christianity specifically rejects their most cherished dogma, which is racial hierarchy. The Christian message is the opposite of the equity agenda. Christianity describes a universal brotherhood of man, every person created in God's image, and therefore, for that reason, morally equal. That is gravely disempowering for the left. If all people are morally equal, you can't really divide your population by skin color. You can't really set one group against another. You can't tell one group you're better than that group. You're worse than that group. That's not allowed. So in order to allow it, you have to erase Christianity. And they've been working on it for a long time. Ever notice how they call Martin Luther King doctor but not reverend? King was not a physician. He was a Christian preacher. They'd like you to forget that. Undermining Christianity is the central project of the left because it stands in their way. 
As dozens of churches burned across Canada last summer, the country's prime minister, Justin Trudeau, refused to condemn the fire bombings. He called them, quote, understandable. Then the head of Canada's ACLU effectively endorsed the fire bombings. Burn it all down, she wrote. And now we're seeing it happen here, as we knew it would. Subscribe to the Fox News YouTube channel to catch our nightly opens, stories that are changing the world and changing your life. From Tucker Carlson tonight. Well, that's an excellent question. And there is a lot um, of research on this. There's, I've spoken to any number of sources in the intelligence community and in cyber intelligence and, uh, and other sources throughout sort of the, you know, the cyber intel world. And they point to the DARPA program um, that really was the origins and the beginning of things like Facebook. And then what they do, the, the, the kind of tactics that they use is that, you know, the, the CIA will work with DARPA. They'll develop something like the Facebook system. And then they'll see the idea at some way like a college. And they'll see who picks it up and who turns out to be the most viable kind of candidate for carrying the torch, right? And so you've either got to be stupid enough to believe that you invented it yourself, right? Or you've got to be dishonest enough. I mean, how did you end up with things like, you know, both Mark Zuckerberg and the twins think that they invented Facebook? Guess what? You know, probably neither of them invented Facebook. Can we prove that? Well, it's very difficult to prove, but certainly it's something that I've been looking at for some time because, you know, what is my personal belief? Well, as a journalist, can I report definitively that uh, these, um, you know, that Mark Zuckerberg didn't invent it? No, but you only have to listen to Mark Zuckerberg testifying to see that the guy is not a genius, right? He's not especially gifted. I mean, do you ever hear Mark testify and think, wow, right? Like, you know, he's impressive. No, you know, you never see that. And so what you end up with is, you know, small people who are invested in their own lie. And uh, and then on top of that, look how look how ingenious it is. I mean, nobody would agree to have a surveillance device in their bedroom or in their deepest, darkest recesses of their minds, right? But we have phones that are essentially surveillance devices. We let them go everywhere with us. We take them to the toilet with us. We take them to, in, you know, into the shower. They're present with us all the time. You know, they know what we search. They know what we're afraid of. They know what our fetishes are or fantasies or, you know, perversions for some people, right? They know all of this. And one of the most disturbing things to me is to hear young people today say things like, well, you know, I'm not doing anything wrong. So I've got nothing to fear. You know, I don't, or we have no privacy anyway. So what does it matter? There's two things here that I think are really important for people to understand. We do still have a right to privacy. We do. And the Fourth Amendment is still there. It hasn't gone anywhere. So every time I go up to that system clear at the airport and they say, oh, do you want to update from your fingerprints to your retina? I say no. Not because I, I mean, I know that every time I look into that machine, they're scanning my retinas regardless. But what is the difference? The difference is I never gave you permission. I never willingly gave up my right to privacy. I never said you could use the scans of my retinas, right? 
Now, maybe that seems like a small thing to a lot of people because they've already got my fingerprints. And in some ways it is small, but in other ways, it's very, very significant because if we don't give up these rights, if we don't surrender them, they actually have to fight to take down the Fourth Amendment. And they never want to do that. They always want to use deception to get their own way. So they will tell you, well, this is a telephone. It's going to make your life easier. They won't tell you a few years from now, you won't be able to do anything without this device. If you don't have this smartphone with you at all times, you won't be able to get a menu at a restaurant. You won't be able to, you know, check into a hotel. You won't be able to buy anything. You won't be able to this. You won't be able to that. And we will be able to monitor you 24-7. Like when they say get a smart dishwasher, they don't say we're going to create a fake climate emergency. And a few years from now, we're going to turn your dishwasher on and off when we think that you can use it. Or your and AC. Or your AC. You're setting your AC too low at night, House. You know, you like the bedroom too cold at night. You know, we're not letting you do that. We're going to put it up at 72 degrees, you know, or whatever. Yep. Yeah. And so that was the one important thing is for people to realize your privacy is still there and you have to fight for it. Because if you don't fight for it, you're, you're giving in to them. It's the same as surrender, right? And the second thing for people to realize is especially young people, don't be so stupid and think that it only matters if you're doing something wrong. This data and surveillance isn't just about when you're cheating on your girlfriend or you know whatever it happens to be, right? You're playing hooky from school, whatever. This is about creating a human terrain map. And this is where the CIA and the intelligence agencies and so on and, and the government comes in. Because in intelligence, what did intelligence professionals, what were they tasked to do before technology? Well, they were tasked to create a human terrain map. And that tells them how to manipulate, how to control, how to recruit, how to shape their policies. Notice Obama, for example, he never says defund the police. In fact, he was annoyed after the last election. He came out and said publicly, we should never have used those words. Oh, why not? Because he knows people don't support defund the police. How do they know that? They watch the data. They watch what you say. They know who you talk to. How do they know, you know, now these days, if you support, you know, uh, the, the MAGA movement, you're radicalized, right? You're a domestic terror threat. You're an extremist. Well, guess what? How do they know who you support and who you don't support? Because they're monitoring every single little thing that you do and say. And today, you know, you can still get into a liberal school and pretend you're not conservative. You can still hide. Good luck. Good luck hiding a few years from now. When you've given up all your rights, you've put, you've moved into a smart city. Do you know in the UK, I think they've either implemented this already or they're about to implement it, where if you don't have a smart meter in your home for electricity, you don't get electricity. If they can't monitor and control your electricity, then they, they you're not going to get any. And where this becomes even more important is that you will see a lot of developers going into poorer communities, right? Disadvantaged communities, minority communities, and so on. And what do they offer as a panacea to all your problems? A new smart city development or a smart home. What is a smart home? A smart home is basically where they build all of this technology into the walls, into the actual infrastructure of the house. And they tell you, oh, you're going to have free Wi-Fi. You're going to love it. And, you know, you can say goodbye to the days when, 
you know, you have to pay your electric bill and then your water bill and then you're, no, 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 we're going to simplify your life for you. You don't have to go to the doctor. You don't have to have health insurance because we're going to have a doctor on standby for you and you're going to do telehealth. They don't tell you that telehealth has obliterated the HIPAA laws, obliterated your rights. You need to fight for those and take them back. They don't tell you that when all of your services go through one single Wi-Fi portal that they give you for free. Okay, first of all, there's nothing free, right? As my mother used to say, everything has a price and there's always someone waiting to mug you, okay? So what does that mean? It means they have the control. They can turn off all of your services at once and turn it on or, you know, punish you. Not, I mean, look at what they're doing to people because of January 6th. Look at what they are doing. I met a young girl just a few months ago. She went and spent, I don't know, a week or something, a few days in an orange jumpsuit in a small uh, police station in Texas because she went to the Capitol on January 6th. Can you imagine that? Who would have thought that American citizens would be sitting in jail in the United States of America, denied due process, having never been convicted of a crime in an off-site correctional facility that was built for foreign terrorists and nobody would care. Nobody would do anything about it. It's it's disgusting. And if you think we're not heading into this future, I mean, if you you know they're talking about chips now, the BBC and other people are doing stories. Isn't this wonderful? Contactless payments. What are contactless payments? They're another form of control because we can wake up tomorrow in a digital world and our entire bank account is gone.